You're listening to the Grossed Out Podcast with Rob Gross. It's me. I'm Rob Gross. Welcome to another episode of the Grossed Out Podcast. I am your host, Rob Gross. Today, I am joined by my homie, Nick MD. We are going to talk about... Pantera, watch it go. Watch it go. Talking about Pantera. All right, so I'm stoked because I've, been, I've wanted to have Nick on for a while. Um, I wanted to talk. I always want to talk about Pantera. So uh, there's no better way to talk about Pantera than with a Texas boy and yep. a metal dude and, 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 and a great guy. So uh, to give you a little background on Nick, he was born in and began his long adventure in life and heavy music in the Lone Star State of Texas. Pantera were local legends that helped light a fire under everyone's ass uh, to form bands, paved ways for music musicians with little or no hope of getting attention in the middle of the country. After spending the last decade living in New York City, working in various ends of the music industry, as well as providing many visitors and locals with hangovers, bartending in the East Village in Brooklyn, he relocated here to LA uh, with his band Contra Cult Collective, uh, which we will tag all this at the end. Um, Nick is an amazing musician and uh, you got to check out everything he's ever done. Also, like, I mean, old old school favors the destro um taking it all the way back but uh dude welcome to the grossed out podcast i'm so stoked to have you on thanks for having me man appreciate all that this is awesome Mm -hmm. you know and it's like this week uh funny enough i started the week off watching a an old a video i didn't know happened it was in 2010 of rex playing with terry glaze's band playing two songs from um i can't remember if it's projects in the jungle or i'm the or uh or um, fuck, what's the second one? Either, one of the, the first three Terry records. And there's like, Terry seems cool. Rex seems to have a little bit of bad blood now, but I think he's just trying to like generate press right now. But it was so cool to watch them play these songs because they still fucking rip. Yeah. Like so I'm not a- readiness stuff is from back in some of the old stuff. It's just like, I mean, obviously it was, you know, the production quality and there was a cheese factor and things definitely, you know, took a turn when you hit, you know, when phil joined the band but man there's some riffing on those early records and like even what's in your bio it's like these dudes were playing two three four thousand cap rooms five years before six years before anybody knew who they were well it's it's real funny um i'm originally from gainesville texas and right outside of this town there's a little german community called munster um you know when you hear them talking about performing uh you know, those long cover sets and stuff like that. There's a place called The Ranch out there, which they would play. Um, I even have a, a picture, a, taken a picture of one, but there's a news clipping from my hometown advertising for their show, like come to The Ranch and see Pantera and they're all glammed out. Like it was, it's ingrained, like I'm 70 miles north of Dallas, but they were playing up here a lot. And it's kind of like a, um, like I had aunts and uncles that were, you know, weren't like super old, and they would go there, you know, they're probably in their early 20s in the 80s. And, you know, you'd hear about them from everyone. They're like local legends. And by the time I was kind of aware of them being out and, you know, being signed as a major label band, you put together everything. It's like, that's the same band. And everyone's got stories. Like everyone's yeah. got Pantera stories around here, especially. I mean, it's just crazy because they were already the stuff of legend. Like you, you, I've heard stories of like Eddie Van Halen knowing who Dime was when Dime was like 17 and shredding. Those old videos are wild when he's all skinny, huge Afro, just going for it. And it's like that kind of shit is unheard of now. Like there's not 
there's I, I I'm always I never want to say this is never going to happen again, or blah, 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 but like this is a complete and utter anomaly. Like Metallica, Metallica did it on a level too, where they were already signed to a label. By the time they had a video, they were an arena band, but they were signed. They were on Electra, Asylum. They were they were already making that money, tour with Ozzy, whatever. Pantera were just the local guys. Well, what they did, if you know, you look, they create. You if you take, I think this is a missing element at the time, which made it a perfect storm. If you take the eighties which everything was built around an arena sound. Like you watch videos, their first video had a faux arena set up that they, you know, performed in, you know, in all the music videos, they're all totally. dancing around. There's no crowd. It's just the way it was designed. And Pantera took that and that sound, the snare and the kick drum, a lot of that stuff from the eighties, then ingrained the heavier, more underground sounds. And it just, it, it was just in, in, you watch those old videos and they like, made the look to be like we're going to perform as close to looking like an arena band as we can you know with the lights and all that yeah. cabinets and the whole performance so it was it's kind of like uh fake it till you make it almost except they except they were like this is it and everyone mm -hmm. caught up of course as they grew and developed you know yeah i mean but look at they were kids right i mean and, and it's crazy to me because i was i i had i had discovered them on vulgar and I was 12 in 92. And I remember going specifically, and I'm going to shout him out. So he listens to this episode. My buddy, Brian Fields, who was the drummer in my band, you know, one of the few people I still like, he's my homie from middle school. We're still good friends. Brian and I had an argument in band class one day because he's like, dude, Cowboys is way better. And I'm like, no, nah, it's vulgar. I had never even heard Cowboys. I didn't even know what the fuck he was talking about. In hindsight, I still think it's vulgar, but what, what, like, but that's it, right? And then, like, fast forward to years later, I'm working at, at a head shop, hardcore store, Ticketmaster, tattoo shop combo. Oh, sick. Well, yeah. well, pause back in the day when you had to get up and go to a Ticketmaster location yes. and you had to wait in line and you'd just see people you knew, they'd be like at nine in the morning or whenever, and you're just waiting for, you know, and as fast as the person working. That's well, right. How fast your community could get tickets if they That's took right. a while, they're gone. Oh, we, we we had that shit down. Of course, we definitely skimmed off the top, but we had it down. That's but it. Uh, I mean, come on, that job sucked. But we were. We were there and I remember this dude came in one day, backed up his pickup truck. He starts unloading the records, like used records. They're all shit. And now this is like 1998. Nobody's buying vinyl and no one no. only like hardcore and like niche metal labels are making vinyl. And for the most part, right. And Pearl Jam, everything else, no vinyl. And I get to the very last record in the very last box. And it's all like John Denver kind of shit, which is, you know, dollar bin stuff, yeah. pristine copy, Pantera power metal. I have no idea what this is. Internet isn't what it is now. You know, yeah. I pick it up. It's got the insert to like buy the t-shirt, like the Rex rocker belt, all this shit, dude. I'm like, how much do you want for this? He's like, I don't know, a buck. And I and I and I I paid him and was like, oh my god, I need to find a record player now. And it was just like that was that record fucking rules. But I had no idea that it even existed. And then I learned about what Pantera was before because like Florida, we didn't know shit. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, dude, that that record's amazing and uh, best find of all time. That's amazing, and it's 
that and I, you know i hate to be one of those guys i'm not gonna be like oh it's not gonna be like the way it used to and this was exciting because people have their own excitement the way they grow up it's just different than what we have you know but yeah. there was something because it was finding diamonds in the rough constantly that was the buzz you got by going to get into a ucd and tape and bookstore or whatever and you know we'd have you know six or seven of them in our minds and we drive an hour away to dallas and you spend all day hitting them all up and just you dig for hours until you find something weird or something you were looking for. And it was just, it, it gave you that like excitement. That's hard to explain that you still feel when you talk about it, you know? Oh, dude, I think about this. It was uh, behind the music with Metallica and it was Sebastian Bach being interviewed on it. And he is a fucking knucklehead, but he said the best quote of all time where he's like in a record store has no idea who these bands are. It's 1983 picks up a copy of kill them all flips it over and goes, these are the ugliest humans I've ever seen in my entire life. I must buy this. And he's like, and then it was awesome. But like, th but that's it, right? That shit's like, you know, there's still an element of that, but it was just special. And imagine that you already knew the band. And it's like when you used to, when I used to go through catalogs, I, I, I assume you, you like this band too. And that's a, you know, part of the whole NOLA scene, but I was a huge crowbar fan in college oh, and dude. because shit went out of print so quickly with these like independent labels, like pavement, 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 right. That's the one is that I'm working at the same shop and I'm looking through the, like, the new, new release order book. And they're like back in stock, broken glass. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? That is probably my favorite crowbar record. They were the, also a band that I fed off. I found out because of Pantera, you know, 100%. And I got tapes. Um, I got the self-titled one, and then when Time Heals Nothing came out, I was like, I've been looking for it. it you couldn't find his shit anywhere. The distribution no. was whack, and they, they had, like, no ads. Their interviews were only, like, a little bitty piece, and the only time you ever saw him was on that one Headbangers Ball video or the Pantera Home videos. That was it. Totally. It, and it, 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 there's nothing else. In I mean, dude, I had to interview them at Jacksonville College Radio at night. My first ever band interview. I found the tape. It's my first ever band yeah. interview. I, I am petrified to listen to it because all I remember was it's when, um, fuck, dude from Sammy, Sammy from Soylent Green was in the band at the time. This is like uh, Equilibrium era and or uh, Oddfellows Rest Equilibrium. And the dudes, all they were doing was offering me speed. That's it. That's the whole, that's the whole interview was like, Hey, so blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You want some pills? And I'm like, Oh, this is the worst interview ever. I'm going to get fucking fired. <laughs> Never aired. Still have the, I, I have it on my little cassette recorder, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, you're right. Like that's how you found these bands. It was through the Pantera home videos. Like that shit was, I mean, we were talking about this right before we, we, I pressed record, but like that shit was life. Like you spent your 20 bucks and you I, I had definitely had at least two copies of, of volume two because I'd worn the first copy out because it just like there's so many inside jokes that my buddies and I had based off those videos. Yeah, ne absolutely. never looked at never looked at Dave Mustaine the same ever again. Oh, man, it's all the little things. See, that's that's the cool part, which we don't have as much as the inserts. And when you do find something that nobody else has that you know maybe no one in your town quite possibly and you know you it smells a certain way every mm -hmm. e the way the you know the lyrics are tripping you out you see t-shirts they're wearing the thanks list and you're like whoa i gotta check out these bands if these guys are cool mm -hmm. and sometimes 
they would just be their friend homies and it would be a whack-ass band you'd be like son of a bitch but you didn't realize it and then sometimes it would be like my life's changed again right right well i used to always like get a kick out of the nicknames they'd give like producers like kevin yeah. caveman shirley which by the way the poor fucking guy looks like a caveman i it's like i feel so bad for him but yeah. i mean but that's like it's like what it was like i think def leppard was the first band that i really discovered that did that but pantera did it too and it's like you you're right you just lay there and you just you just just go over it again and again and again i don't know what the fuck i was looking for but that's that's a lost art for sure and you know i i i still support obviously like the bands that i love and buy the vinyl if i can or whatever but there's there's something about that whole thing and definitely with with pantera it was such a physical thing like i needed the merch i needed to go to the show i needed to get the t-shirt i needed the poster i had the fucking long boxes on my wall my bedroom like for uh, cowboys and vulgar so like it was just they were they were I think at a time where like Metallica was the gateway band and, and then I got into Megadeth and found Slayer and it was like the Pantera did all the things that I wanted in a band. Like they had this groove and this soul that like, I fucking like a sly and a family stone kind of like, like, like feel there's a feel to how they play. Cause Diamond Vin were so in lock in lockstep with each other. There was just, no one's trying to out solo the, no one's trying to outshine the other. Like, they played their fucking instruments and it was just, it was special. Pantera was just special. It, 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 like what you said, every element was important. No one was bigger than the other. Some bands are replaceable. It was one of those bands you can't replace anybody. And there's, no. there's, there's a bunch of those out there, but I mean, you know, say what you want, but I mean, the proof is what it is. I mean, there's a lot of bands that are, that are still around that have trade off members and whatnot. And who knows what they would have been like today. You know, they might have fallen apart, you know, and, and it might might have made some really whack records or, or they might have made even more amazing records. But when it comes to us discovering music and how that doesn't exist anymore and the band getting cut too short, it makes it even more special also. Oh, you yeah. Know? And, it, and it, it makes you look back in a, you know, it condenses everything, all your memories and all the experiences. And it just seems more special for some reason you know it does man and I've, I've touched on this in a bunch of other episodes it's like the the nirvana the doors the beatles quotient where it's like you had a finite amount of time and so putting putting the independent records aside just starting a cowboys through through reinventing the steel which is in my mind highly underappreciated and shit on way too much the remasters coming which i've heard is so much better because like qu- yeah very good yeah and and that's but that's the thing, right? It's like, that's just 10 years, 10 years, five unbelievable albums, like unparalleled milestones for a band this heavy. Like, no, I don't think another band this heavy, maybe Slipknot, I'm not even sure, has had a number one top 200 record, like Far Beyond Driven. And they just, like like all these other bands, they got softer and like, maybe they came back like a Metallica or like Megadeth or like they go through swings, like, like Slayer had their, you know, Diabolus new, new metal period or whatever. But <laughs> I see your face, but, um, but, uh, but the first song is great. Everything else is, but um, Pantera just like, nah, they got heavier with every record. Heavier and weirder. And you know? way they're, weirder. They're, they come off being the number one band and playing arenas and, you know, they're working on Trend Kill. It got bluesier. It got more underground. 
it got more melodic and more heavy all at the same time. They're one of the few albums where all the extremes play out and it actually does. And Phil gets fucking Seth from Anal Cunt to sing on like all these, uh, you know, a handful of songs on there just to scream, just to scream. Yeah, and totally. I, when I worked at Earache, I was talking to uh, uh, my boss, Al. Shout out Al, if he listens to this. And he was telling me how back in the day, like their management, I guess concrete management had contacted them and they're like checking in, I guess, getting permissions or whatever. And uh, I guess, I guess Phil wanted him to scream on like all the songs or something crazy or a whole bunch from he's like, nah, we're not. No, that's not what's happening. But, you know, he was in that mindset where, which without him, the band wouldn't have had that footing in the extreme underground and, you totally. know, when they, they couldn't have taken out all these amazing underground bands that were just touring in vans. And, you know, that all those bands they took out changed my life, too. And those, you know, totally. like you see band today, they don't, it's not the same. Lamb of God is not taking out fucking death metal bands all the time. You know, they're not, and, and I'm not putting them to, you know, harping on them or anything, but it's, no, but you're it's right. not the same thing. It's no. in, to have that. They literally, and I know you agree with me, and people don't realize this, like in the 90s, everyone was bitching about how bad the 90s sucked. Like everyone was, I thought, you know, and you'd read articles like, well, music here sucks, this and that, you know, no one liked metal. They pretty much single-handedly carried the flag through the decade. Hundred percent. Slayer was it was too few and far between. The two, yeah. m- I, like I love Divine Intervention. It's probably my favorite Slayer record. I know that's Yo, pretty sacrilegious. My favorite Slayer record, Divine Intervention. Fuck yeah! Yep. I mean, th- that's a whole like, dude. I gotta do another sp- conversation on why yes. and all that. I'm not yeah, saying it's the best one, but it's my favorite. Yeah. That's it, that's exactly right. But it's like Pantera had released two records. They were on their, but it's in the time between. South to Heaven and Divine Intervention, we're looking at three Pantera records. And, and in that time, everything had changed. And Pantera were like, well, it's cool that Metallica went and, had, and we're like, cool, now, now Kirk's going to solo like Jerry Cantrell. Way into that shit. But for metal, and metal signed to a major label, Pantera, like, they were the torch. Like, it was like, like it was period. period. And like, and like you nailed it, they, they did just keep getting weirder and weirder. And I think to your point about the band, maybe having like, maybe, you know, going through, if we had another 10 years of Pantera, who knows what would have happened. Right. I mean, cause we, we got some very odd uh, Phil side projects and what became main projects. We got more down records, which was cool. Like arson Anthem had its moments, but you know, damage plan wasn't my thing, but, but they were having a blast and that's fucking cool. And, you know, Pat, Pat was a good guy. I don't, you know, for, for my meetings with him. Um, but yeah, it just, they could have continued in that short time. They changed the course of music for people that like more extreme shit, the same way that Nirvana changed it for mainstream and pop culture. Right. Right. And, and we lived it at the same time. So people saying that the night, oh fuck with nineties music is like, you, you have no idea what you actually missed. Well, it, it, it was, I remember like literal interviews reading. Cause you know, you remember all the dumb shit and everyone mm-hmm. being like, well, fucking nineties sucks for music. And I just remember reading that pretty consistently with bands mostly, you know, right. Complaining that we're existing in that, that arena of things. But uh, you know, they stood out like a sore thumb and it's, it's not, they weren't in your that's the amazing thing is to have a band 
that's playing, you know, they, they weren't playing arenas in New York city. You know, they play Roseland or whatever, but everywhere else in the country, mm. all the little B and C markets were fucking arenas and they that's were packing. Right. That's why they would tour, you know, a markets, B markets, C markets in one year in the same country. You know, they toured mostly the United States. If oh, you yeah, I mean, their touring. yeah. I mean, I saw Pantera more than any other band of that size growing up in South Florida, I saw Pantera probably five times, which for Florida, South Florida, I mean, dude, you tour, you know, like, and I've talked about this again on other episodes. It's like, like going to South Florida is an investment and it's time, it's money, it's crew. It's, if you have a bad show, you've now lost way more than what it looks like on paper. So getting down there, I saw them play the West Palm beach arena three times. Wow. And to your point, that's the first time I was ever exposed to typo negative. Um, they took out anthrax when nobody would touch them during like the stomp 442 days. 100%. That was a big, yeah, I was always anthrax through John Bush fan. Even like volume eight, mm. I like that a lot. And you couldn't Dude. find that record anywhere. Anywhere. You know? that re- I live and die by the Bush records. Like we come for you all. Dude, I, I'm a huge John Bush fan. Funny enough, not a huge Armored Saint fan, but I love him in, in anthrax. Right. respect it respect armored saint just not it's it's not heavy enough for me um but but man it's like yeah you nailed it they really they they really just pushed through and soldiered on when nobody else fucking would well they could take probably you know have a good choice of who they wanted to take out but again heavy metal heavy metal or whatever you know or back then extreme metal i felt like was an umbrella from them down you know Mm -hmm. yeah Um, if, from what I remember, and I remember I just got to see him eight times, which is crazy. Wow. And um, um, very lucky and fortunate. Um, and one of the times, uh, well, two, two that changed, three bands that changed my life and everyone else we know. Uh, one was uh, I was 14, and uh, for my birthday, my dad got tickets for, he knew, really liked the band, got tickets for me and my friend to go see them with uh, white zombie and i hate god opened up oh yeah and, i saw that sir and i only knew if i hate god from t-shirts and stuff and Same. they came on and they were just like feedback and mike williams came out the big ball of whiskey and he like tilts it back he's like fuck you quit don't don't look at us look at yourselves whatever there's fires getting started everywhere that's another thing about concert culture with like slayer pantera shows back then people were lighting fires and shit everywhere fireworks you know just brutal like feel like everyone was i mean i was smaller but just felt like there was just a lot more like no shirts they're all massive you know dude. it's like the the, it's like the lights go down and the shirts come off and the man boobs come out dude i saw a dude get his lip his bottom lip ripped off at the 94 show west palm beach so to your point man though i've never seen i was only going to hardcore shows at that time yeah so i had i'm like we pick each other up off the floor like what is it it was a legit aggressive decade yeah, and it, it was, it was. Music. and you know i hate god tripped me out and i was like oh my god like, i don't know about these guys and and, and i just I, I did like them i just didn't know how to deal with the the weird feelings they gave me watching them and i went and bought dope sick which just came out and it became one of my favorite bands the same mm-hmm. with i went to go see them play with clutch and neurosis was supposed to open and Jesus. i was like oh cool i'm going i want to see neurosis like I'm, i heard they're like a crazy band it was in 90, early 97, I think, like February 97, something mm. like that. And uh, I went, and there's no neurosis 
Pirates merch. And I'm like, and I just saw a Pantera merch. And I was like, what the hell is going on here? And there's one Soylent Green shirt. And I remember reading about them in an article once. And so far they had just put out one record, that Pussy Soul record. Mm -hmm. And I think Dwell Records put that out or something. But uh, I didn't know what they sounded like though. I just knew that they were a band and it sounded cool. And I walked up and watched them open up. And I remember uh, Ben came out and said, I just want you to give us 20 minutes of your time. And they just smoked me. Like I thought it's one of the best, man. I still think they're one of my favorite bands of all time, but they're fucking amazing. Like this is in a, a little ice, uh, skate, uh, you know, hockey arena. And they got this fucking crazy grind death. Who knows what band playing. And you just don't, see that very often in the united states for anything and i was it changed my life you know and they, they just did that consistently through their career yeah. and then clutch played you know like clutch they were so green to clutch to to them in to pantera Dude, wild. <laughs> i love that man in 98 i think i saw seven dust on their first ever tour opening for clutch opening for limp biscuit the late the ladies night in cambodia tour which was yeah, meant to be cheap and stuff on stage yeah yeah it was meant to be clutch's tour and then for elephant right before elephant riders came out and yep. then limp biscuit just exploded and the tour switched or what i don't i don't know how it happened but by the time it got to florida limp biscuit was obviously headlining but i remember like why is Cl I remember even as a kid being like, why is Clutch always playing with these like, like playing with Fudge Tunnel, Sepultura? Then they always. did it, but they like even to this day, like I, I I've seen them with the Sword. That I saw them again with Seven Dust, and it, like I, I know we're, like off topic, but like it just that band blows my mind. How in a way they they've did, they've done the same for me. The Pantera's done where it's like wow, this has exposed me to a fuck ton of other bands just because I bought my ticket. I'm going to get there. I'm going to see every band. And I know it's going to be good because, you know, they have a good track record, just like Pantera did. Yeah, absolutely. And the music's there, you know, mm -hmm. and it's something good to, you know, cleanse the palate in between like blasts and then have something that's just totally. like, super, especially seeing them in like an arena setting pre um, elephant riders, their stuff's a little more aggressive yeah you know what i mean and it, it just it hits you know there's they're not playing dudes not using you know solid state amps with like tons of gain or anything and it's just like kind of like funky hardcore but not lame and they were just like it was just cool you know that's that should have been the product sticker it's funky hardcore but it's like not lame <laughs> it's yeah, like because yeah. you know that that is like the lamest genre like oh when you, <laughs> see that's when the 90s did get questionable oh big time big time and I, I see i didn't even know the difference between genres forever like i didn't know it's like this is a hardcore band i was like ooh, that sounds uh pretty extreme i should check that out and i didn't put the pieces together for years like i was a complete idiot like nothing i i just thought these things were just ways of describing bands not necessarily like spe specifies what their influences were or anything i was just like oh yeah okay so this is the uh one of those bands uh from uh norway or that have like makeup and scream like you know scream <laughs> all crazy and this is uh these are the guys that wear like you know shorts and they're like you know political and you know i did i yeah. so dumb you know Dude, but, uh, you don't like fuck polit political short guys are you talking about helmet yeah, no, yeah. Well, to me helmet was I, I i didn't even know where their influences were coming from they were just sick and you yeah. know we went and saw helmet last year year yeah, it was last fucking year. awesome it, 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 they kind of sat into a spot that 
that worked around the time. And that was a trick because, you know, I remember I actually have a guitar world cover or something that says the future uh, breed and it has Paige Hamilton at the front mm -hmm. and dime bags, like in just a little piece of the, of the magazine, you know, this is like 92 or something like that. Wow. And, um, it, but that was very important in the transition of everything to extremity, yeah. everything, like super important helmet is just in prong, you know, people kind of look over that. Like no. you don't hear anyone being like, you know, there's no hardcore kids jocking prong. You know, they're all, all of a sudden typo negatives, the, the flavor in the last five or six years. And notice that I, too. Whatever. Like, cool. That's cool. It, That's it, great. I think most people, I think it really comes down to kids getting all excited on Pinterest or something and just seeing blue great merchandise. And then all of a sudden those become the bands. Totally. And like, I mean, dude, that's like my retirement fund is my pajama bin. You know, it's all, it's all the, it's all, it's all the blue grape and Brockham shit. You kept them all. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I think got rid of I, something. I got rid of like 10. My mom made like a quilt for me when I was like going off to college and, and, and my, I mean, she put like, she didn't even tell me it's really sweet. She put my band's shirt right in the middle. And um, so it's cool. Cause it's like Def Leppard, Poison, Pantera, uh, you know, White Snake, uh, Metallica, backscatter like it's just yeah. it's like what's odd man out there you know but um i gotta find that fucking thing but yeah man, so so you know when it when it comes to sort of bring it back when it comes to pantera because i'm really curious about this because you and i even like knowing before this but now especially with with talking about like the bush era shit and all the things that we're clearly on the same page about where where does so when it comes to their best record versus your favorite record where does that lie because it's not often is it the same thing no because uh it get, becomes intertwined with memories and of nostalgia and um that's right i think a lot of my favorite records tend to lean that way and i'm not necessarily somebody excuse me i'm not necessarily somebody that um i don't live in the past you know but yeah. everyone wants you know a good feeling and certain records provide that now that being said like I get a certain, like, I, I found the original I'm the Night tape once at a used bookstore, like, that they oh, printed shit. up. I wow. And I was young, you know, I was, like, 14 or 15. I was like, oh, wow. And, of course, you're going to play it. Now someone probably gets it. They'll frame it, put it on the wall or something, you would think. But I jammed the hell out of it. And this is when you couldn't really find very many of their things that were that old. I was kind of left behind. And if you did, it would be a circumstance like you ran into. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. what I was getting to is like a lot of those songs on there, like I'll listen to now, just remind me of that time. And I think they're super great. Um, but when it came to, so start, you know, you heard about them and then blah, blah, listen to them here and there. And it didn't quite drive all the way in yet, you know, and they played on local radio here, 99.1, Z-Rock played them and, you'd hear it, but it was still like, oh, cool, heavy band. I didn't really understand. I couldn't put it, everything together. I was like, oh, it's a weird sounding band. And my, my buddy had a Cowboys from Hell tape. And yeah, I'll cut this into two pieces. So to answer your question, uh, just going by my feelings here. So my friend had a Cowboys from Hell tape and I liked it. And that was, you know, you could, I didn't have money to go buying tapes and stuff. And I rode my bike to his house. He had a bunch of cool stuff. He had some older people that would buy him records and stuff like that, you know, and their parental advisory stickers, which sure, we needed yeah. a record store in town at that point. We didn't have anything, just Walmart. So you had to get them other places. Anyway, 
I asked him if I could borrow the tape. Uh, my friend Spencer, shout Spencer. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, can I borrow your Cowboys from Hell tape? And he's like, he's in a bad mood or something. He's like, nah, man. I was like, damn. All right. I just want to like, you know, dub it and like dual tape deck, you know, get that, uh, you know, the mega bass hooked up and all that. Of course, you, know? you gotta, gotta have the mega bass. Yeah. And I'm like, all right. I had my starter jacket on. Mm-hmm. Also throwback. I just grabbed it and I stuck it in the starter jacket. I'm like, all right, bro, I got to go home. Blah, blah. He's like, all right, later. I get out the door. I kind of like hustle out. I get, as soon as I get him on my bike and get to the end of the driveway, door slams on me. He's like, hey, asshole, did you take my Cowboys from Hell Tape? And I'm like, started hauling ass on my bike. And he like ran as fast as he could and like grabbed the end of my jacket and just slipped. And it, it was meant to be. And I got home. And that's when I first really got to deep dive on it. And it changed so much of my perception of everything because the guitar tone was different than anyone's guitar tone. You know, his single note picking on the low strings was heavier than people doing full chords, like the off the wall shit, medicine man, primal concrete sledge. Like you can't make sense of everything. It's a sensory overload cowboys from hell. Like bad guys were black, you know, bad boys, whatever. All this shit's coming at you hundred miles an hour. And I just, I went super heavy then. So that really has a, a, a spot in my heart where I was like addicted to crack essentially. Oh, and, dude, I, yeah, I get it. That record's phenomenal. But, but, you know, and then you got vulgar, huge deal for everyone. But when Far Beyond Driven actually came out, this kid in school um, had the shirts. His sister went to one of the shows and he had just gotten the tape. So I knew he liked Pantera and he's like, yeah, new pantera record i got on tape i'll let you borrow it and i'm like sure brings it and it was like taking your favorite crack and then like making it super crack like (laughs) it it just top to bottom every extremity weird tunings weird riffs bizarre everything and it was just like best album i've heard still to this day favorite metal record ever up against anything it's it's just it's just perfect in all the weird ways and a lot of it has to do with the time i mean now you can be like oh it's groove metal and we can put it over here or there but at the time there was nothing that it just didn't even make sense it was just so off the wall and no, crazy t- i mean totally and look i i i'm the same way for me vulgar i feel is the record that's going to get that's going to get the notoriety because that's the one that really cowboys brought people in there was a thing about it but it still held on to a bit of the past like the high notes in cemetery yeah. gate to the end which is incredible then you have like there is a cheese factor to to this to the title track and then and then but then like you could hear hints like primal concrete sledge the end of domination like but to me like the, the, probably the cheesiest song on the record is my favorite which is the sleep i fucking love that song love it but, one of the best solos he ever did ever yeah. And the, but but that's that all set the stage for vulgar. But when Far Beyond Driven came out, same way, got the tape and was like, I mean, I was starting to really get. I was playing drums for a few years, but I was starting to get, you know, I guess good, you know, showing air quotes, yeah. <laughs> you know. And when I heard the end of the the outro of Becoming, I almost quit. Oh, because <laughs> I'm like, but no, you like I could play fast, I could play slow. I was learning how to be like a funk drummer at the time in school or whatever. So like, oh, I could play with a feel. What the fuck? I still can't play that. Like, I still, I was never able to master that. And then I was like, he's using, he's, he's doing triplets with his feet. 
Yeah. Like, and they're like, he's using triggers. I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Like he's whatever it is. It sounds sick. And I didn't, like, I didn't give a fuck. And like that record. And then that record, basically in a way I'd already been exposed to black Sabbath already. Like yeah. I, I had gone, I, I went on a trip to London the year before and like bought all these imports and stuff. So I was already familiar, but like what, what you did in that day, at least me is like, I bought it. I listened to a song or two that I liked and then like never really listened to some of the other songs. So for the most part, not like, you know, my favorite bands or whatever, but that's discovering Planet Caravan on that. That changed. I got into stoner rock because of that record. I went back and discovered like Fu Manchu and like, how can one record do all that? Yep. It, the- it, it, it just, it had so much, like for something that's such a focused record on a specific sound, mm-hmm. it's super expansive in its influences, you know what I mean? And originality and you know, like becoming, it's just like this weird, when you first hear it, it's like, what is like, what the fuck is that? You know, it was also my first time hearing something that was close to death metal without watching it on headbangers ball. Like when like morbid angel came on or deicide, I was like, yeah, "Yeah, I'm going to go get a snack. Like it just wasn't for me. And then now when I heard slaughtered, that opened the fucking door for me to death metal. After that, I was like, yeah, I'll, cannibal corpse i'm into that like it was but slaughtered did that for me it's like i'm not a whiskey guy and then you're like oh bullet bourbon's okay wait it's not all jack daniels that's right that's totally you know i do love bullet (laughs) yeah oh yeah that's That's it well you remember do you remember even when they were advertising the record certain people maybe in columbia house or whatever people call still they they called it like metal punk industrial in certain things i remember and being like oh maybe it's all the weird sounds and like how is who who let that press thing out there were they just tagging that on the end because of what was popular at the time you know because industrial had fired up and you know before it got really really watery yeah it was you know i remember that being a huge deal and i liked a lot of those bands and and being like totally where's the industrial part you know i don't but, i mean so when all those bands signed to major labels like these major labels had no fucking idea what they were doing so like they're like oh well there's some weird noises on here i guess that's industrial or like you know yeah we we, we like we, we like extreme music it's worked we, we sold a bunch of melvin's records because nirvana was a thing let's just sign all the bands that pantera likes and it's like what a mistake or like earache being distributed through columbia at that time in, you know, working at Earache, I got to hear all the stories from the source and there's a lot of great ones. And a lot of the stuff is that you've been in the music industry longer than most people I know, you know, and yeah. done a job, you know what I mean? Which is very, Somehow. Unique, very lucky. Yeah. And <laughs> um, you know how, how there's a lot of, you know, a lot of things that happen behind the scenes. Most of them aren't what you see up front and, uh, a lot of there's a lot of funny situations on why things ended up the way they were and a lot of you know those false expectations and if i do remember not to get off subject i think they thought godflesh was actually going to be the big band and that's why i think one of the the majors got involved for them i mean and like i love godflesh i love all that shit but it's just like I, i'm reading the current decibel right now the, the the cover the hall of fame is fudge tunnel it's hate songs and I didn't even know this that I guess in the UK at the time they were running ads like Eric was saying 
fudge tunnel the uk's answer to nirvana and they're like what the fuck we sound like big black so it's like i think at that time it was like how can we hop on like with pantera same thing with like mr bungle bands like this is like they're selling hundreds of thousands of records on a major label i guess just don't fuck with it and see what else we can pile on to it that's funny i um I ran to Alex Newport in LA. I guess he lives there. Yeah. Produces and stuff. Yeah, right. And I got, he was producing a friend of mine's band we we're going to see. And I sat down and chatted with him for a while. And it was, man, yeah, it, everything was like, uh, like I think Fudge Tunnel was just a name they came. They wanted to do something different. Like, all right, let's get a real name now. And they're just like, no, nah, let's just keep the name, you know? Like, everything's, you know, it, it, just like everything in the, in the music industry, you know, you think everything's well thought out and, you know, half the time the bands don't get, especially back then, didn't get a, a say. They just open the magazine and they'd be like, whoa, what is this? You know, right. Why is this on here? But it goes even further. I, I was a guest writer for Metal Edge in like the mid to late 2000s. And I have a co- I did a cover story for A Life Once Lost. Oh. And I was so stoked. Mm-hmm. I was getting paid. I was having a great time. I got to talk to bands. It was a good experience. And I, I got the magazine. They sent me a few copies and I opened it up and I'm like, this is like half of this shit in here. I didn't even write. So it's like, it took, it takes layers to get. So, you know, you're, you're a band trying to break it in the, you know, you're not trying to break the mainstream, but the label wants to break you in the mainstream. Like, trust me, like they wanted East West at, they wanted Pantera to be the biggest band in the world. I'm sure they did. So you just do whatever you have to do. And there's so many layers to get through. So yeah. it's like, you get the interview with the right print and then they change it on you before. So like, it's so hard to just get your exactly what you have in your head out beyond the music right. out there. And even at that time, like, you know, A&R guy, I don't know how involved they were with Pantera, but A&R guys were like, no, we need a radio single. We need a radio edit. This song is like over four minutes, 30 seconds. We right. need, we need cut out the solo, cut out the second chorus. Like it's challenging, man. Well, and they had, they were, they were a, ph- a phenom in that area because they had a grassroots fan base. They didn't radio, right. which isn't normal. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I say that, I, I don't know, maybe it helped more than I thought, but um, to be able to have that, and to uh, put out the records and the content they did with their home videos and everything, it, it comes across as a, a lot of freedom taken because they would be like, fuck the radio, fuck MTV, like, fuck all that shit. Well, especially after Headbangers Ball is done, they're just like, they're like, nah, fuck MTV, who cares? But that the anti-image in their clothing and that became the promotional tool. That became the advertisement, which you can't do that as much now just because everyone's looking at the same the same shit, I guess. Like you had to be a metalhead and you weren't reading about them in because you had to read magazines, so you know, or watch MTV. What else right. was there? And underground radio. That's it. That was it. Right. And I mean, I think that, you know, not to keep going back to the video, but it was so pivotal because to me to your point when headbangers ball basically ended in like 94 for the first time right before the the josta years or whatever when pantera was already done and gone um it was the home videos that got me engaged to go to the live shows because like as a kid it's like fuck you know i don't have i don't have 26 dollars but you bought the video and you're like i want that i want to be at that show i want to see this fucking craziness and you got it naked girls there's girls like with I remember just seeing like 
girls with, you know, big tits just with their shirts off and people are drinking beer off of them. Just walking in, seeing that show hadn't even started yet. People are smoking weed everywhere. People are lighting fires. Shirts are coming off everywhere. Everyone looks like they're about to go to like work out in prison or something, you know? And it, 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 it's just like all <laughs> it's that so was true. Like, it just, it, this is what happened to all the shows. Like, it, it sounds crazy. It sounds like right. things were much crazier then. But no, it literally was. It, and there was the wildest, weirdest thing, honestly, in retrospect. But when you're a kid, you're like, this is sick. <laughs> Total, dude, it's not even being a kid. Like, you know, like, like my stepdad just passed away a few weeks ago. And I, I've been going, you know, thinking about a lot of, you know, going through like memories and you try to remember that you try to remember the good shit, right? Because like the bad stuff kind of goes away if it's not terrible, terrible. And it wasn't terrible, terrible. And the good stuff, it's like, he took me to see Pantera, not once, but twice. And do you want to know why he took me twice? Because there were boobs everywhere. <laughs> he didn't give a you think my dad liked I hate God or typo negative. He suffered through that shit because it, it was a fun show to like the people watching was out of control. And I remember like specifically being 14 on the far beyond driven tour and the couple next to us were in the West Palm beach auditorium arena, whatever. She just wore jeans, boots and a vest. And so I was like the whole show just kind of like, look, I'm like, Oh, I saw nipples like the whole show. I, like, I, I didn't know, like, well, Phil's going off, but like boobs, like I, you're 14, like, you know, but, but, you know, yeah, and it ain't like a 14 year old now that's got full access to crazy porn. That is wildest shit in the world. It's like literally, you know, Victoria's secret magazine, you know, catalog coming in is exciting for a kid. I had, saw that. I had you're nothing. The, you're a level up above every kid you knew. From. Oh, dude. I, to, I, the next day at school, I wore the fucking t-shirt. I told everybody about that. I only saw one boob. So everyone's like, I saw a single solitary boob. And yeah, I, 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 I was, I was cool for a day, but, um, but, but, but that's the kind of shit, like you remember these shows that were just life-changing. And I remember specifically now, now, especially that I have like back problems watching Phil fucking lose his mind at these shows and go, I mean, like a human being shouldn't be doing that to themselves. And that kind of, you know, I now understand a lot of what he went through um, and the, and the addiction and wanting to not, you know, to take pain pills, then all of a sudden that wasn't enough because he, you shouldn't treat your body the way that he was treating his body. Like he was just going. He the show I went to, he OD'd that night. Oh, no show. Oh, that was that was that show. July 13th, 1996, I believe. I think that's when it was. Yeah. And I remember my dad even saying like, he's like, man, that guy is on something. And, and I remember thinking that and me not knowing a whole lot about anything, you know, barely 14 I'm just like, yeah, he's crazy. And all I knew, he was talking shit about Metallica a ton. He was like, we're not going to cut our hair and do all this fucking bullshit. We're not going to call ourselves alternative. You know, we're not, we're a fucking heavy metal band. Fuck that. You know, the, you know, we'll never let you down. These, and it was just like, he totally took advantage of all this stuff. But he talked, God, he had to have talked for over an hour mixed in the show, at least. 
he it was insane he did you know what i do because i was the singer in a hardcore band i got the like throughout those years and i would go to the show to talk as a hardcore band singer for sure yeah but but we weren't a religious we weren't a christian hardcore band so (laughs) sorry my atheist jewish self you know but like but that's the thing is i all i kept looking at when phil was blabbing on at my shows was i was watching everybody else in the band kind of just look at each other like fuck we could have played like three more songs and it just they were just used to it you know because like and as, yeah. and as the shows like because i did see them in 2000 so that was the, obviously the last time but as the shows went on and the years went on phil got worse like i remember the last time i saw him he definitely had like the trepanning done and he was you know long hair long beard probably hadn't showered and like a he looked like shit no one was jamming his heart either the last couple of years like it I mean, it just wasn't, you can even watch on video. It wasn't the same excitement. You know, you could tell they'd gone through enough personal shit. It just probably wasn't even as fun. Totally. Well, then they go on stage to an extent and listen to him. He's funny sometimes. Sometimes. Like, he would say the wildest shit. I remember one thing he was like, uh, he's like, all right, this next song's got some curse words in it. If you don't like it, stick your fucking titties in years your dick in years this one's called domination i'll see like domination doesn't have any cuss words in it you know it's just right. it's all nonsense but that's part of the funny part of the band they have this extreme bizarre humor yeah like bizarre humor oh yeah that was part of it and they were still taken more seriously than a lot of other bands i mean dude my friends and i used to we had we used to get like the box of soda like that like those 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 half cartons that you'd get from like costco or pace or sam's club and take you know the sodas out and then that stupid little fucking ball with the little nubs on it and we'd fucking do that too like we were trying to emulate i mean obviously didn't do like the milk drinking but like yeah, we yeah. were like, I mean, I, I hated, I had a, just an unnatural hate for Saxon just because Phil had ripped on them on the way to Donington. Oh, they're holding their annual Saxon concert. Yeah, it's like, I don't even know why yeah. Biff Byford's super nice, but I, yeah. but, but I had like this unnatural, like, well, Pantera makes fun of them. They must fucking suck. And it's, yeah. but that's what yeah. it was. It was like, no band let you in like they let you in and like as they got bigger and bigger and bigger it felt like they let you in even more and i remember specifically at the show in 96 with anthrax opening and fucking cold chamber because cold chamber opened for every fucking band under the sun for like four years i think i've seen cold chamber like 20 times they never okay okay i'll tell you though i did like them when they came through with them i don't know they sounded really heavy and they didn't really have a lot of press i saw them at with them and Ozfest '97, mm-hmm. it was kind. Of, it was. I thought it was kind of cool because it didn't. It just. It hit. It was a different type of band, and I was like, for a moment in my life, yeah. I did like that band. I'll, I'll admit that. I like some of that shit. They never. I think it was just the, the quirkiness of his vocals never did it for me. Or like watching. When it got all like, whoa, yeah, whoa, yeah, like the, whatever. But they were heavy when they were with Pantera. I think they had to prove themselves to oh, be yeah. heavier band or. Oh, they were heavy for sure. And then obviously Devil Driver is, you know, they had their moments, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I said moments, but um, like actual moments, maybe on a song. Um, but, you know, I remember specifically walking to the bathroom again, same fucking arena West every time through and the bathrooms flanked the stage. Cause it was probably, it's an old, like hot, like, like um, IHL hockey arena. And yeah. I was walking back and Phil was side stage watching anthrax and I walked by and Phil just 
she cheered me and threw me a beer. I was like, I'm 16. The security guard was like, no, I'll give me the beer. But like, I was like, wait, this is like, this is a fucking so- rock star. Like I was just coming back from like, my hands were still wet from the bathroom. Like that's, that was like, you, you, I couldn't picture Megadeth doing that Slayer doing that Metallica doing that. But like Phil was like, he was just stoked. We made eye contact. He threw me a beer and trust me, dude, I looked, and, and, I was a kid. Dude, th- that's one thing to be said is, you know, a lot of bands want to be on the big stage and people, you know, to have that feeling towards them, but they maintain that and was still more accessible. Like it never went away. It right. was never like, Oh, it's just, even in Dallas, you'd see them, or some of them around. It was just like, it's never like, Oh, uh, just Pantera, unless you're some like old guy that's real good friends with them or something. It always felt like it was still cool. Yeah. You know, that's awesome, man. I mean, it's it just, it's nice to hear it's, you know, obviously it's just beyond heartbreaking, you know, to, to what happened to them, but it's just nice to hear that there was that humbleness to them, even at the height. I mean, it doesn't get any bigger in the lane they have. They, 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 they made it so big early on I think the only other band that's been that heavy, that's been that, that size is Slipknot. Yeah. And these, their sound, like I remember Pantera's audio wise, smoke Slipknot. Oh, there's not even a, there's no comparison. It's dude, it's crazy. Like it's hard to explain to people is smoke slam a God. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's a whole different thing. And, you know, not just saying that because I'm like a big fan or whatever. Like, it's just, that's why you kept coming back to them. They were louder, heavier, guitars more in your face, vocals are more just crazy. Like you didn't know what the fuck was going to go on. No. I mean, when, and, you know, and to your point from earlier, like when they were doing all the, I never thought about it that way, like how you put it, all the fucking extremes on, on Trend Kill. Like that introduced me to, to, to certain aspects of Grind and like, like yeah. Sandblasted Skin and like Underground. Like that record just hit their no band at the height of how high they were coming off a number one pop top 200 record is like, okay, well now we're going to make literally the heaviest record to ever be made on a major label. And I think it still holds that award. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of the most unique records in the, in that, you know, at a time and that was an absolute peak when grunge had just, you know, it had been around and grunge was already old news. And, you know, just like anything, the watering down of things Mm -hmm. in the grunge bands and some of the others open the doors for alternative, you know, it always does that. It kind of, there's excitement. And then they start signing bands that are like related to that excitement that are more radio friendly until it's completely washed out. That's right. And that alternative era was like some of the worst music i ever heard right like, like how, did, how did you go from Soundgarden to lifehouse in four years yeah macy's playground and all that shit was just <laughs> third eye blind some of the most god-awful stuff i'd ever heard in my entire life you know and during that time it was like they could have done whatever they wanted and you know me and i still have like yeah i was in the fan club and shit so i have like poster where they're like you know this is when the record's gonna come out like i have promo posters and shit like that and I remember me and my buddy, I think Trend Kill came out before uh, Load. It did. Maybe I'm wrong. No, like I, a little. I'm almost sure. It felt like it did. And, but when, when Summer we were like, fall. You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I remember when Load came out, we were like, nah, we ain't fucking with this shit. And I still bought it. Yeah. And I still, 
I got reload for Christmas the next year or whatever, but I was still like, this is like now Metallica, which, you know, that's my entry level when black album came out, my friend's older brother had the tape and we took it and he's like, Hey, check out this band Metallica. And I was oh. like, cool, you know, no. Metallica, let's check it out. And I, I didn't put together what band it was because I'd seen their vinyls when they sold vinyl at Walmart. Which they do again now. You know? Yeah. They had Metallica vinyl. I remember seeing Injustice for All. I just remember seeing it in the green and that. Yeah. Anyway, that was the band. And then they disappear, you know, for a few years, you know? And then it was just like, nope, we're done with this. Mm -hmm. And that was literally the dividing marker. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like, yo you could be this band and it was like they just felt it just felt like more loyal you know metallic would do interviews and they'd say well we write for ourselves you know as a musician i understand a lot of this stuff more now but yeah they're like we write for ourselves you know and that's cool we think our fans understand and you know the guys are like you know wearing makeup and stuff and you know you know whatever and nothing wrong with that but at the time it was like who are you and you don't right put it in perspective the time in between you just had one record next record well that's you know, and the some thing. entire records are careers are within that type of uh percent. Oh, and that's the you thing know? like I, I talked about it with my friend lydia in the metallica episode that like i fuck with load i love that record however the problem with it is that it went to all these extremes that if the I think if the if the the modeling booklet that came with it and all that shit, if the visual like changing the logo, the semen and blood artwork, like I think if it was just the musical shift, it would have been understandable because there were songs that created a bridge like a King Nothing or an Outlaw Torn where it's like, wait, oh, I get the progression. OK, no problem. I mean, do you do you want to see your favorite metal band cut their hair, wear eyeliner have a non-cool logo and have bloody semen on the cover or you want a fucking snake son <laughs> I, dude it was for me it wasn't even the semen it was the logo i fucking but i'm just saying logo. like yeah. it's just, to have something that you're like stoked on right it was just like okay i didn't have a problem with any of it as for what it was but just you hold them up together and it's, it's like not, this is my favorite well, thing well they, 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 but but they must have noticed that too because then they're like well shit we got blood and cum how do we make this worse well let's call it reload get it and then it'll be balls and it was balls they're like a fucking nutsack is the cover of that record and like yes Dude, to, how more spinal tap yeah. how much more spinal tap could things get like seriously like between like the year and a half and a life of that whole clip like it literally was like living breathing spinal tap and the thing about pantera is that like also great video vhs sitch year and a half the oh, life of so fucking good so, i have every every video we've talked about i got in a vhs back here in a thing you know you still got that so you still got cutting stunts back there too and yeah and i was actually at that show oh no shit they filmed for two nights i was at one of them see so like i said i was I was still a fan, but I was still fucking hating. See, I, you know, what kind of bullshit is that? I went, I paid money to see Metallica so I could see COC. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because they opened the whole tour. Um, but, but the whole other discussion, deliverance dude, records. One of my favorite records, one of my favorite bands of all time. But the thing about Pantera and album covers too is like, what the, the, the Far Beyond Driven original album cover with the screw in the butthole? It's like, maybe that's why they thought it was industrial. I have that 
I have that T-shirt of that the original album cover from back then. Oh, they had it at the show, and I remember looking yeah. at my dad. He's like, "You're not getting that shirt." I had yeah, that. I have it. I still have it. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, I, I had the um, official the 101 proof shirt. That was that was that, one, that was a fun, that, that was a fun tour because that was like it felt like a greatest hits tour, even though like for Dude, a, it, you know those last the two songs they put on there that were supposed mm. to be like next record. I think if it would have been the one thing I wish they'd have done is made a record in between reinventing and trend kill. If it went along those two songs, it's just a whole different. Oh dude, I can't, I can't, vibe. I can't hide that fucking, that's like them at their punkiest, like almost their most skid rowiest. Like, and I mean that as a compliment, you know, like did they, sure. oh God, that song is fucking good. They're, both those songs are great. So good. So good. And they had and like uh, and they had some great B sides that came around that time too. Like dude, all the soundtracks. All the all the like Dracula 2000 and all that shit's now on the reinventing the steel deluxe. Buffy. I'm sorry. Buffy. Oh yeah, the Buffy soundtrack. Right, right. And they had um fuck that was what, the Rob Halford uh that was yes, and then um what was the fucking um call the light? Was that it? Uh something the light. Oh um yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh that was Dracula okay. 2000. That was Dracula 2000. Um, Everything was something 2000. Bad, you know, you know, doing the badge by Poison oh, Idea. Dude, so good. On, that that showed me. I didn't know who Poison Idea was. No. And I was like, whoa, this song is sick. Yeah. You know, what, what's going on here? Um, what was that other B side? It was also something to talk about. Is did you did you get into the bootleg stuff back in the day where you had to buy a a bootleg CD, remember, it was like twenty five bucks or something yeah. unthinkable, and it was printed out on some real shitty paper. I, but you yeah. still like you couldn't get the live shit anywhere else. So it was like, oh, I'm gonna get. This. I used to buy the tapes, the deep, like the tapes, the CDs, but mostly the VHS. And I like, I, I had this store. I, I mean, dude, the store should fucking reopen just based on that. As much as I talk about it now, the store called Sids in my in my town, where they they would have like this laminated binder, and you'd go through the binder, and you'd be yep. like. All right, here's my 20 bucks. I guess I hope that this, you know, Mr. Bungle from 94 show is actually like pro shot. And they were mostly shit, but like I did, I had I had something from the Far Beyond Driven, maybe like a Czech show, something in Europe. And it was it was actually it was really good. All right. So we're doing so you want to get into some personal stories. Now this is I've told this a million times, but um still a pretty cool story. So I'm 17, you know, Dallas is an hour away from where I live. And a buddy of mine had been um, drum teching that lived close to where I live, drum teching in Dallas for a kind of popular local band. So he was going into these bars and stuff. He was a year older than me, but he was like, hey, Machine Head's playing tomorrow at Trees. Um, I can, he's like, I can get us in. If we go there early, he goes, skip school, come with me. Or, you, or actually made me drive. And I'm like, I just told my mom, I'm not going to school today. I'm going to go see this band, super whatever. And somehow she was fine with it. My dad's fine with it, I guess. Go down there. We leave like at noon. We get there so early. We're there during load-in. So we get in and he knows the security guys because he's always there at this other band. And they're just like, yo, what up? And all this stuff. So we just hang out. We're just like, okay, we're good. He marks us. We're good way before. So we're in. I'm just like, oh, wow, we're going to see this shit, this bar. 18 and up and then we go out walk around we run into machine head and they're like yo hey is there any cool like clothes stores around here or anything and this is when they're all like spiky hair and tribal gear and all that oh boy yeah yeah 
we're, we're like, yeah, follow us. It's over here and show them the spot. And uh, yeah, so we were like, wow, this is cool. And I remember just thinking like, wow, I skipped school. You see this Machine Head show, finally gets around to the show. We watch it. These horrible bands open up. It was like uh, Primer 55 and like uh, Reveille. I yeah. Those bands I remember. I worked with Primer 55. They were terrible. Oh, they were so the bad. So bad. It, it, coming back to, again, like a band as opposed to just like, oh, wow, new metal is popular. Let's just jump to that and take out shitty bands like Pantera wouldn't do something like that. So anyway, watch the show. It's ending. And my buddy was like, dude, look who's at the bar behind you. Turn around. And, you know, there's a square bar in the back, kind of middle of uh, trees. It's Vinny and Dime. You know, I'm like, well, it's like 20 feet away from me. I'm like, holy smokes. Like, whoa. Uh, so we start walking up, inching our way over there. And Dime's leaning up against the bar behind, and on his back. And the bartender is just pouring tons of black tubes and just setting them up i'm telling you there's like 20 of them at least you know he just keeps pouring them and just lining them up behind us and i look at my buddy and he's like dare you to steal one so i look at him like just jokingly reach my arm up like i'm going to dime bag turns around catches me he goes do a double makes me do two shots like i'm 17 i'm like <laughs> what am i supposed to be here and like dime's giving me shots boom I send him down. My friend's laughing. I'm like, yo, whoa, this is crazy, you know? And uh, and then I go up and say something to him. I'd been at a show and talked to Dino from Fear Factory, like, during OzFest or something earlier uh, the other year or some middle of the year. And he'd said something about Pantera, him being at the house, and Dimebag was doing this or that, A being his, uh, re the new Pantera record to uh, Obsolete or something. So I was like, oh, yeah, Dino told me, yeah. Uh, like Dino, me or friends, but yeah, he told me you guys were doing this and he was in the studio with you guys and stuff. And he's like, Dino, when'd you talk to Dino? And I was just like, Oh yeah, the other day, whatever. Anyway, he's got all these people around. He's passing all these shots out. You know, he gets busy. Uh, I just see him take wads of money and put, give it to the bartender, just tons of money. I'm just thinking like, Whoa, like he probably, you know, has dropped more money, you know, last couple nights he's been at bars more than i've ever had you know right, yeah this what you think when you're a kid of course you're like whoa look at this this is so cool so anyway we're gonna leave and my buddy's like hey his his friend that new pantera that helped us get in the show was like oh yeah they want to go to the clubhouse Vinny and dime are going he just talked to him i'm like okay cool uh that's like a 21 and up strip club like that's not happening he's like oh dude it'll be cool just uh yeah you gotta drive so my buddy, his friend, and this guy I just met who used to write for like Metal Maniacs and Rip Magazine and stuff, I find out. And he's going through my CDs in the back before we even leave. And he's like, Nossum. And then he sees like uh, something a little less heavy. And he's like, why are these together? You know, brutal truth. And he's all confused. Like, who are you, dude? He's grilling me. The Vinny <laughs> and Dime are up their Escalade and they're yelling at my friend. They're like, oh, he's like phone friends to a party. So we get, I'm driving behind him. We go to the clubhouse and I'm just that's the whole time. I'm thinking like it's a school night, like an hour away from home. There's no way I'm going to get into this, like get into this bar and all this stuff. And we get out and I'm like, you sure it's cool? And they, they like say, what's up to this guy I drove. And we walk right behind him and Dime's just like, they're all with me. Walk right in. No one bats an eye. Dude, I'm amazing. like, what the hell? So we go in and 
They take us to the back and this door opens and their security guy comes out with these tubs, sets one out full of beer, another one full of ice and liquor and mixes. And it just cracks open beers and starts handing to us. I'm like, is this cool? Like, I'm so cautious. Like, I'm just worried about what's going to happen. Like, I'm going to get someone in trouble. He's like, yeah, you're with us. You're good, bro. I'm just like, okay. So we just start ripping beers. We're just hanging out in the own little VIP area, you know, doing shots. You know, Machine Head shows up. And there's all these just little pockets of people. And I remember talking to their bass player. And he's telling me my friend's story for like an hour then the, you know fast forward and it's like me rob flynn and dimebag just and just doing the shots to heavy metal and the new pantera record just us you know it's all these stories are happening it's um, insane this is absolutely insane that I, I, I wouldn't i wouldn't even mention on here but uh like you know you overhear some stuff you're like well that's insane and it was a whole night and you know we we went till like four something four thirty in the morning or something you know, and lights are coming up and Dime turns to me, he goes, Nick, and he takes off his Randall hat he had all night and just like throws it at me and just flies by me kind of like a Frisbee. And I grab it and try to hand it to him. He's like, George. And I'm like, wait, you just giving me this? He's like, make some noise or whatever. So I get the hat and we crawl out of there. And then my buddy, I'm like, shit, I can't drive all the way back home. He's like, crash with me here. You drive us home. So I'm driving hammered as shit in Dallas and it's starting to snow. And I'm just like, you know, one eyeing it, get back to this dude's apartment, crash out. I'm having to wake up super early. And then it turns out school got canceled in the morning because of the snow, which barely takes any snow, you know, in Texas. So it's just like perfect. And uh, and it was like, it was most insane. I still have the hat, you know, and um, yeah, still this day, I can't believe that. It just all worked out like that. Yeah, that, that's insane. Like, I told a couple of people at school about it in the morning, and I'm just still like, you know, buzzing about it. And then all these people, like I didn't even talk to, were coming up to me throughout the day, like, "Oh, heard you were partying with Pantera last night." What's up? You're like a 15 year old, or I mean, sorry, 17 year old kid, and uh, everyone's tripping. And you're just saying, "Yeah, I guess I was." <laughs> <You know? laughs> Dude, that's amazing. It's like that's that's like when I hear stories like this, because I've heard a million stories about how, how, just how, how, how kind he was and how, how good he was to everybody around him. It's like, that makes it all the more sad that he was taken away and in the way he was taken away. And you know, when it came to Vin, it's like, dude, watch his brother get shot. Like he died of a broken heart. Like there's just no doubt in my mind that he flew, he floated through the years oh. And then, well, you know, or you said you worked with Ben Big, uh, Big Ben Records, right? I, I did, and he was he was cool as shit. I mean, he came to our office. He he put out that um the Dime book that had the Dime Vision DVD in it, and he you know he I, I still have it to my house. He, he he signed it for for all of us that were working it, and he was super nice. We had uh he came to like our Fontana Fest, our big like annual event we had, and we hung out and. He was just like a nice guy. Like I, we, we had a drink. We had we all had dinner together. Like he was just a nice dude. Like I, I don't know how to. You're looking at like you have to kind of like, especially at that time, I was in my mid to late twenties to snap yourself out of it because I'm like looking at the table and I'm like, oh yeah, there he is with the beard with the lines and like it just it's that bad. It's like you're sitting there. Like with, a cartoon walks out of the TV. It's just you're looking at. I, look, I've worked, it's totally like I've worked with bands my whole life, like my whole life. I've been either in bands, working with bands. There's nothing that makes me feel starstruck. And that's not trying to sound like a dick. It's just like, I get it. They're, yeah. they're like, they're just dudes or women. They're just people. But when you have bands that mean that much to you and then they're fucking cool, 
Like I've heard so many horror stories about don't meet Mike Patton. Don't meet Mike Patton. I've met Mike Patton many times. Every time I, I meet Mike Patton, a few times he didn't remember me, which is fine. And then, but, but ever since then, like when I, we hung out at the bungle show in February last year, he, he could not have been nicer. And it's like, I think the only, the only, I've only met one dick my entire career, like, like, like an absolute dick. And I, I don't want to mention him because I currently work with him, but it's a fucking dick. But like when you meet the Pantera guys, like I've never between the beer from Phil. Wait, is the guy that's a dick? Is he a rock band guy? He's a rock band guy. I think I know who it is. Anyway. Yeah, no, it's okay. He's a small rock band guy. Uh, but uh, but yeah, but like th- that's it. That They were larger than life. And then when you get, I, I never got to, to hang with Dime or spend time with him, but like everybody at, in that band that I met or even in the crew or even in the surrounding bands, they've always held up. It's like almost, they have to hold up the level of, of not quality, but the level of just humility that the brothers held to everybody. Like that's why when you meet them or, or know people that know them, like that story is amazing. You know why they're where they were. Yeah, Phil, Phil's always been really cool. When I've talked to him, he's always been the nicest guy. Oh, going back to the big Vin thing. So Vinny, you don't hear any after Dime's death. You don't hear from him or anything. You know, why would you? Besides a few press things, you know, he's gone basically in his own thing, grieving and everything else, as you'd expect. And I believe it was 2005. And, you know, I have a band by this time, which, you know, the Destro and we're, you know, we're playing around Texas and we're kind of figuring things out. And we took a weird Sunday gig at Curtain Club in Deep Ellum. And we're just like, oh, we can work out some of this new stuff we're doing. Because for a while, we're doing a certain, we're just writing stuff we weren't really happy with. And we felt we're just writing it to write it. And we're like, nah, let's take the stuff we actually listen to and write some shit. Let's take the carcass and the napalm death and the crowbar and all that. And let's put that up front. So we had a bunch of new material. And we're like, let's take it and practice. So we get there, not much of a turnout. We didn't even promote it. We're just like, we're going to go play. And, uh, yeah, we're getting ready to get on stage and this guy comes backstage and he's like actually one of the guys that were in that vehicle with me when we went to the clubhouse you know this is years later was like uh dude vp's in the house he this is the fr- he said something like this is the first time he's been to coming out to a bar since dime's death oh shit like and we we're like holy shit i wonder if he'll watch his play and he had a group of people he was with and uh you know three or four people and we we're like i was like no way no way dude and he's like don't fuck it up man he's <laughs> in the house and i'm like get out of here so we go get on stage and they have a curtain that's closed it's called the curtain club and then they open it for you play and we started playing and no shit vinnie paul walks up to the stage and he jams out to our set and is putting his drink up and he's saying fuck yeah and yelling watching my fucking band in oh, front of a man. pretty much pretty much empty bar i mean like it <laughs> it's it, amazing it, like what yeah i remember just watching him and him being like fuck yeah woo and being like get, you know makes a hair on my arm stand up thinking about it and just i was just like whoa like this is, doesn't make any sense this isn't how it's supposed to whoa like i wonder if this is good you know like <laughs> And afterwards, one of his guys came back and he he gave me a card and he said, 
yeah, Vinny's starting a record label now. You know, he's not doing band stuff, so he's going to focus on that. And that was before Hell Yeah or any of that. He's yeah. like, he's going to focus on that into the thing, into the spectrum. And he's like, he really likes you guys. It's like, let's keep in touch. And I think there was a couple emails. I don't even think to Vinny, but somebody else. And then he just formed, you know, Hell Yeah, which oddly enough, said band we ended up signing and uh, later ended up doing tour dates with Hell Yeah, you know, a few of those. And uh, that was cool too. Yeah, you know? the big Vin thing was supposed to be like a thing, and then it just it it, it kind of went to your point. Like we're seeing the other side of it when Hell Yeah happened, it really I don't want to say fizzled out, but he never released really. They they partnered, did the Rebel versus Rebel, and then the book with Dime Vision, and then we were supposed to do a Pantera, a Watch It Go Four, and it never happened. Oh man, and they got all that. Yeah, man, I can't wait for that to come out. 80 years later yeah well we'll all we'll all be old to be like all right yeah let's just queue up like the you know yeah intergalactic Please. monitor and watch 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 it, watch it, go. it watch, go watch it go to sleep oh man <laughs> um yeah so that was like insane and that's like you know and there was a bunch of times that i'd run into those guys with you know i'm very fortunate to know people in various sins of his music industry or like radio or whatever. And these friends would just hand us tickets and backstage passes to stuff real young. And you end up at these places and it's just like, Oh, like I remember seeing drowning pool before they're assigned mm -hmm. and whatever. Then they got big and you know, they're playing some new year's show and they're sponsored by this radio station. My friend, uh, Dina shot Dina. She worked there and she's like, Oh, let's go to the show. And then took us to the VIP thing. And, you know, Vinny and Dimer, you know, you saw him around, you right, know, right, right, right. After a while, it's just like, Oh yeah. Vinny and Dime are around. That's cool. You know? And I didn't try to punish him too much. Cause I, I feel like I had like the coolest time ever. And, Oh, you, you know, definitely uh, had the coolest time ever. So like you have to, you don't like, you don't want to like fuck it up and try to recreate it. No, you know? no, no, no. But you know what I'm saying? It's like they were around and then he died and it was just like, Whoa those are those guys that you're never going to see at the shows I know. anymore. Like it's, it's, everything's gone. You yeah. know, they're such an integral part of a, a, a Dallas music scene. And they, you know, they made a lot of people proud and they helped, you know, inspire just everybody, you know, as people, everyone's got these stories. Like how many stories do you tell 20 years later? Right. You know, that's like, Oh, this happened to me. You know, and this guy was just cool to me because all the story is, well, that guy was, great musician he was super cool to me and that changed you know that's inspired you more you've never you've never heard a, a bad word about these dudes and that's the, i mean obviously phil has had his problems and we don't need to get into that but i mean and, and rex clearly there's you know he's got his you know he's got his demons it seems and but i, I hope he's on the, on the right track but when you're talking about the brothers specifically it just you just don't hear a bad word about these dudes like they were they were classy guys you know, they, they were, it was a homegrown family business. It was the ultimate DIY band that became the biggest, heaviest band to ever exist. You can't, that's a fucking story. And then you find out that these guys are cool as shit. It's like, this just, it, it's something that you're probably never going to see again. And like I said, I don't ever want to say that, but that's, it. this is pretty, it's pretty true. I think that a hundred years from now, people are going to find these records and it'd be like, holy shit like people find led zeppelin records or black sabbath records or beatles records pantera is that for the next level of heavy music yeah i, I don't even understand really too even going back to the personal stuff how 
open these guys were to people, you know, like I wouldn't want strangers coming to my house if I'm having a party in general. <laughs> and these guys, I ended up going to a couple parties at Vinny's house, like a New Year's party and a Super Bowl party. And he's just like, hey, what's up? you're just running around in his damn house. You know, um, at one point in time, my cousin was uh, dating uh, the manager's daughter, Guy Sykes' daughter. Yeah. Christine, awesome. Good friend. She's uh shout out, Christine, if you're listening. Um, but she took us there once and then we went another time. But, uh, you know, it's such a family environment. They're all their whole crew and everything. And all of them were just so it was like, well, it's just a family, you know, yeah. and you saw all the people there, all the characters you saw on the videos. And I mean, everybody was super nice. And I, I actually went upstairs. There was, she took me up to a room. She was like, there's a jam room upstairs. I'm oh, like, what? shit. Yeah. Vinny and Dimey's jam room. It's kind of a secret room. I'm like, okay. She takes, it's just us. We go up there and she opens the door and uh, there's a drum set. There's dime stacks still up. There's like a little channel strips for like Neve boards, like where they can just demo up there. And I start looking at tapes and I shit you not. This is just like, why would this even be on the shelf? Just sitting there is like, uh, like war nerve. I'm broken. Like these just tapes of stuff. I'm like, why are these sitting out? So I get back on the kit and I go like being to five minutes alone. I was like, all right, let's get out of here. Like, I just want to do that. I was able to sit here and, 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 and feel this one out. And, uh, there's like a vibe though you're like whoa like this is and then you feel like this is just two brothers you're fucking this right is, it, it just takes you right back down like all these people are family and friends these are two fucking brothers that did some wild shit and at the end of the day there's the drum set and there's the fucking amp and that's where it started you know you know it, it's crazy and like you know well I'll, I'll wrap it up with this because this has been an awesome conversation but to your point about this is that i become literally naturally just by going to shows running into him at the burbank airport i become really good friends with doug pinnick from king's x one of my favorite bands and one of pantera's favorite bands and yeah doug gave me a tape once i actually have two copies if i find the other copy i'll give this to you i need i don't know where the fuck it is but i do know i have two and it was a bunch of demos that doug had just fucked around with and on it is i think later i'm sure it's all over the internet but it was it was a tape of it was it was him doing the song called born under a bad sign with with dime but it's doug but it's doug with dime and it's like why are you giving this to me and it's like it almost feels like anyone that kind of like it's like a tree anyone that spent enough time with those boys they just learned from them this is how you do it. This is how you treat your fans, your friends. And I'd never met an artist like that before. And like I said, Doug and I become very close and it's like, he's an open book. He wants to talk about the highs, the lows, you know, the relationships, who's a dick, who's not a dick. And it's like, right. Because they're just human. They're just dudes. And yeah, you know, I, I can't picture doing that with a band like Metallica. And maybe you can, I just can't picture it. And with Pantera, that was always part of it. It was like, no, even at like 12 years old, I was like, this seems like I could hang out with these dudes. And now I'm 40 and I feel the exact same way. Nothing has changed other than that. They're not here anymore. But I, I feel that like I, we could all be friends, you know, and that's, and there's something to that. It's a band that you worship as a, you know, this musical thing, but they're also people that you'd want to have in your life. And that's however cheesy. That's, that the, sounds. The, absolute, that's the absolute reality of it. It's just who the people were. Yeah. Fuck all the rest of the shit. 
Like that's mm-hmm. that's the lesson learned. That's the whole the whole thing. You know what I mean? Thank- like that's that's all that's important ever. You know. Thank you don't for coming to my TED talk. Yeah, <laughs> don't be a dick. Yeah, that's basically all it is. Is like just be fucking cool to people and the prosperity will follow. Obviously there's different levels of that, but you know, in Pantera, they earned every fucking dime they had, you know? No pun. Well, dude, yeah. this has been a trip. I don't even want to get to like half of my questions. I want to, because these conversations were just too good. Um, thank you so much. Um, Thanks, I'm going to, I'll, I'll tag all the bands and Contra cult. I'll, I'll get all that stuff in the, in the, uh, in the description. And uh, thank you for listening to the gross out podcast. We'll see you again soon.